today we're going to talk about what do we do when there is darkness, when there is those rough times, and how do we handle it when we feel abandoned and when we are broken and we are hurting, how do we handle that and what do we do? Um, and so we're going to talk about that in today's message. The title is Embracing God in the Valley. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of Christianese. I think, you know, when I was writing this out, I thought, what if, what's that? Like, what is the valley? You're saying embracing God in the valley, but, you know, maybe you've never come to church before and you're like, what is the valley? Well, valley just really, it's, it's a low place in between two high places. So a lot of times you, there's a valley in between two mountains. It's a, it's a low area. And in the Bible, in Psalms 23, it says, the Lord's Prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil. And so when we say that we're walking through a valley, it means that we're walking through maybe like a low time in our life. It feels like there might be a shadow of death over us. Like there's, we can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. There's not much fruit. There's not much growth. So we feel like we're in the valley. And so how do we embrace God during those times? Um, and in this series, we're studying in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And so I'm laughing because this is really funny because whenever Jim in that first series, first message, when he uh, introduced the series, my boys were both sitting on each side of me. And y'all, most of you know that I have, I homeschool, homeschooled them for five years and um, until recently. And so my oldest, he leans over and he says, mom, I thought it was Habakkuk. And I was like, well, I just, you know, kind of was like, okay, just listen to dad. Not two seconds later, my other son leans over. He goes, mom, I thought it was Habakkuk. I said, it's because I homeschooled you for five years. Like when in doubt, just go with your dad, okay? Like your mom's a heathen. She doesn't know. Just she's a heathen. She's a hick. Just <laughs> she's... So everything has a Habakkuk. It has like this Southern draw to it. And so I literally have been practicing saying Habakkuk. <laughs> So you might get both, just overlook it, okay? So, but anyway, we're talking about Habakkuk, and uh, he is um, an Old Testament prophet. And, you know, as Jim mentioned earlier, he is, he's unique because most prophets are um, talking to the people on the behalf of God. So he, they're listening, they're hearing from God, and they're telling the people what God is saying, but Habakkuk is actually, he is speaking to God on behalf of the people. And so he is very direct. He's very full of emotion. He's very raw. And he is speaking to God. And so in chapter one, I'm going to kind of give an overview. The message is really this overview as we end the series of this relationship between Habakkuk and the Lord. And so in chapter one, it's all about the wondering, like he is wondering what is going on. And as we look in uh, the first three verses in, in uh, chapter one, he says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you violence and you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? And so he's looking around, he's seeing the wickedness, he's seeing the evil and the sin, and he's crying out to God and he's saying, what is happening? I don't understand. Why are you allowing all this? Don't you see this injustice that's happening? Like, don't you see what's going on? And basically he's telling God, 
I don't like this. I don't like what I'm seeing. Don't you hear me? God, this is not fair. So what he's seeing with his eyes and what he believes in his heart about God, it's not matching up. He's saying, why don't you save? I know you're a God that saves. I don't understand How many of you have ever felt like that before, where it didn't really match up? God, I don't understand. And then in chapter five, verse, uh, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter three, we're, um, I'm sorry, chapter one, we're still in chapter one, but it's verses five through seven. And he moves down and God, this is where God responds to him. And God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. So I'm sure Habakkuk is thinking, that's awesome. Yes, God is answering me. It's gonna be something amazing. And then God continues in verse six and seven. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. And then he goes on, it's like 7 through uh, 15, and he's talking about the Babylonians and, and just basically that they're taking over um, and that they are coming for Judah. And so Habakkuk is, is confused because he's saying, God, you, I'm going to amaze you. You're saying you're going to amaze me. He's, he's giving him vision. He's saying, I'm going to amaze you. I'm, I'm bringing you somewhere. I'm, showing, I'm telling you it's going to be something like you've never seen before, but this is how I'm going to do it. This is the plan. This is the Babylonians are coming and it's going to be hard and they are ruthless. They have no regard for humanity. It's going to seem impossible, but this is where we're going. It's, it even says in the Bible, it says uh, Habakkuk complains. It says the Lord responds and then twice whenever it says Habakkuk complains, he's complaining. And I'm sure he's confused because he's like, what are you talking about? You're saying that you're going to do these amazing things, God, that you're, this is where you're bringing us. And, but yet then you're telling me this is the plan. You're even using a nation that is more wicked than we are. You're causing, you're bringing us punishment from someone who is, who is worse off than we are. And I thought, doesn't, I wonder if that ever happens where God uses something or someone in our life and we just are critical. We were missing it because we're like, they don't even serve you. They, that person at work doesn't even know who you are, but really it's what God is doing on the inside of us. And so he's like, why are you allowing them to win? I don't understand why they're winning, God. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand In chapter one, it's about the wondering. And in chapter two, it's about the waiting. It's all about the waiting. So he is, the Lord responds in chapter two, verse three says, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it, right? It will certainly come and not delay. God is just saying, be patient. It's going to be in my timing, in my timing. I love the quote that Pastor Jim shared a a few weeks ago. When it's not God, you can't force it. And when it is God, you can't stop it. It is all about God's timing. I know something else that we always say is God is always on time and he is never late. He is never late and he is always on time. Some of you are in the waiting 
some of you are in the wondering and you are waiting on God's response. Just ask some of our single friends, these ladies there. I am waiting. Like, and you know, we say that it's easier said than done. When you are crying out, when you don't understand, when you are lonely, you feel abandoned, you are hurting, and you are just waiting. Chapter one and two, you see Habakkuk really wrestling with his faith. You see him saying, God, you're, you're, you're telling me this on one thing, that you're gonna do amazing things. You've told me that you're gonna, you've come to prosper me and give me a hope and a future, and I believe that with all of my heart. But then on this other hand, there's this army that's coming to destroy us. And so, God, I'm wrestling with the fact that you are good but it doesn't, that's not what it looks like right now. It's not what it feels like right now. It doesn't feel like I have a hope or a future right now. And at the very end of chapter two, after all the wondering and the waiting and, and the confusion, and he's, he's crying out at the very end of chapter two, then Habakkuk comes to this and he says, but the Lord is in his temple. Let all of the earth be silent before him. He's saying God is still on his throne. After all of this and after God, you told me this plan that I am afraid of, that I do not want to happen, that I see that's coming. God, you are still in control. And it says be silent before him. Be still and know that I am God. God, I trust you. I trust you. And I think that it's, it's so pivotal here because it's the, this, the very last verse before the next chapter in chapter three, which is what we're going to talk about. And, and it's the moment he surrenders. He's saying, God is still on the throne. And the moment that he surrenders in chapter three, you see the shift in Habakkuk. And he says, uh, it says, chapter three, verse one says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shijanoth. Say, Shijanoth. Earlier, I was like, my husband's nervous. He thought I was cussing. I was like, no, it's not, I promise. <laughs> so, Shijanoth, what does that even mean? It means it's the plural of Shijan, right? So y'all, now that that's cleared up, we can move on. It's plural of Shijan. It's only mentioned a couple of times. It's mentioned in Psalm 7 and then here in Habakkuk. And it's a musical term. It's, it's, it's a term used to describe how you would sing a song to the congregation. Like, like if you were to sing a song in, uh, you had, like let's say you have this song and you would sing a song like a love song or in a jazzy tone or maybe a hip hop tone. It's a way that you would sing the song and it means strong emotion, impassioned exuberance, wild, passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm, high-spirited praise, vigorous enthusiasm. That means it is with everything that's in me. Shijanoth. And he is starting out chapter three, and this is his prayer and it's, it's, it also says it's praise punctuated with exclamation part, marks. Now, I love exclamation marks. I don't know if it's normal for everyone, but every time I, it's a text or an email, it is very difficult for me to not put an exclamation mark. 
Pastor Zelda, she, she agrees with me. So even whenever, uh, sometimes Jim will have me proof something and I'm like, well, it's good, but, but, but it just needs some exclamation marks. Like, I don't know what else to say. I'm like, how do you say, have a great day, period? Like, or I mean, just anything. It's like, it, you know, it can be so misread. It's like, there has to be these exclamation marks for you to understand what I'm saying or what I'm feeling. And so it says that that's this kind of praise. It's not just God, I praise you with a period at the end. It is exclamation mark kind of praise. Yes. Doesn't he deserve it? He does. And so I love this part. I love this part because this is what is so important in chapter three because Habakkuk knew that the situation wasn't good and that the Babylonians were coming so that it wasn't gonna change. The, the situation was actually going to get worse. But yet he is in this, he is expressing this passionate, enthusiastic, shijanoth, this praise with everything that's in him before God did what he wanted him to do, before God did those amazing things that he's promised before that. And I love this because it's the most passionate praise comes before the provision. Our most passionate praise, because it's a praise that's based on faith. It's a praise that's based on God, not what you're doing. It's not for the what, but it's for the who you are. It's the, it's the shijanoth. It's the everything within me, God, I praise you because I don't have anything else. There, it's not looking good. It's not turning around. The army is coming. I am facing what I'm facing, but God, I praise you before the provision. I praise you for the who, for your character and for your nature. And then in, go further down in, in uh, verse two, he says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time, in our time, make them known. He's, Lord, do it again in wrath, but remember mercy. I love the worship song that the team sang uh, this morning. I've seen you move, come move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. God, I've seen you work. I've seen you move. I've seen you come through for me. I have seen you turn things around. I remember where I came from. I remember the darkness that I was in. I remember when you saved me, when you pulled me out of the miry clay pit, God, when you brought me from darkness to light, when you saved me and set me free. God, I remember that. Lord, do it again. And so in, in chapter three, there's a shift. There's this shift. So what do we do when we are in tough times and life gets difficult? I wanted, I asked uh, them to put the slide back up that pastor used a couple of weeks ago. It was so good because we look at it and we say, 
Okay, we're, we're either, we're just saved or maybe we've even known God for a long time, but, but we're, we're moving up this mountain. Things are going well. God, I'm, you're answering my prayers. God, I feel your presence. Lord, you are amazing. I love you so much. And then something happens. And then we lose our job or or our marriage is, is not what it used to be. And it seems like it's falling apart. And our kids are making bad choices and it's breaking our heart. Or we get bad news from the doctor. Or maybe young people, you didn't make that team that you've been trying for. That girl or that boy doesn't like you anymore and you feel alone. And you are praying for something but it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen and you want something. You want relief. You want God to fix it. You want it to change and you know that God could easily do it, but he doesn't give it to you. What do you do? And that's when you're in this crisis of belief. You know, I can remember, I can remember in, um, whenever we first started counseling with our marriage, you know, I, uh, I knew, I was, I remember uh, in, in the hallway and I was having this conversation with God and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, if you could just change my husband, if you could just talk to him, just make him listen, just open his ears, Lord, open his ears and have him. And I said this, you know, I'm like doing this or whatever. And he's like, but what if it doesn't happen? What if that, and I literally was like, Okay, <laughs> but I, he's like, what if that never happens? What are you gonna do? Are, are you going to stay? Will you continue to serve me? What if that never happens? Where is your resolve? Where is your resolve? And I remember that was so life-changing because it was this crisis of belief and I really believe that everyone will come to a crisis of belief and if not just one, you're gonna have many. There's going to be many valleys in between those mountains where you're at this crisis of belief and, uh, and you're asking God, God, are you real? Because what's happening it's in my life and what I believe that you've told me, what I be- who I believe that you are, this is not matching up. And um, usually people do two things. So when they reach this crisis of belief, they can either go back to the, some people go back to the mountaintop experience. They just, they just kind of want to deny it and ignore it. And they say, God, you know, I don't really want to walk through that. I will, we'll just stay up here on this surface level back to the blissful part of our relationship where it's good. I won't ask for much. I won't dig deep and we'll just keep it nice and blissful up here. We're going to go back up to the top of the mountain. And then the next thing is um, some people will just say, God, you're not real. I give up. And they, and they walk away. They walk away from the church. They walk away from their marriage. They walk away from their faith. They don't want to serve anymore because God, you must not be real if these things are happening in my life. So what do you do with that tension? What do you do with that tension in your life that, God, I thought you would do this. I believed you would do this. God, I'm praying for you to do this, and it's not happening. What do you do when you're in the valley? The first thing is remember. Remember his goodness and faithfulness. Remember the goodness and faithfulness of God. And in Habakkuk in chapter three, he goes down 
And he says, God from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. And Taman and Paran are two places that God took his people for refuge after he delivered them from the Egyptian bondage. And so basically Habakkuk's saying, this is the God that you are. This is the God, the God that freed your people. Those, you're that God. You're, he's remembering, God, you made a way when there was no way. God, you changed the heart of Pharaoh. You changed his heart. God, you're, you're that God. God, you parted the Red Sea. You allowed us to walk out on dry land. You changed, you destroyed our enemies and you allowed us to go free. God, I remember your faithfulness and your goodness and what you did. And then in verse four and six, he says, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. He's that God. He's that God. He's saying, God, I remember your power. I remember the way that you shook the earth and your strength. And I remember how you were glorified for that. God, I remember how you moved in my life. And you know, I, I was thinking back even the things that I remembered and I remember when I was 11 or 12 and, and I grew up in a small town named China uh, outside of Beaumont. And, uh, and, and I remember this, this, the little Baptist church and I remember the night that I got saved and it, was, it actually looked a lot like the Dream Center. It had a few steps and a white steeple and you know pews on the side. And I know we talk about the red carpet, but the red carpet was sentimental to me because I remember that red carpet and that baptism. And I remember being almost on the very back row and standing with my family. And I remember having this moment with God where I, I wasn't paying attention to anyone else around me. And I remember God tugging on my heart for the first time. I remember the song that was the hymn that was singing, No Turning Back. And I remember this wrestling in my heart, but I also remember the peace and the gentleness of God as I wept and I walked down that aisle as a young girl giving my life to God for the first time. I remember him tugging on my heart. I remember after running from God as a teenager and, and, and drugs and all that and coming back to God, I remember him tugging on my heart. I remember I was, hadn't even made it to church yet, back to the first service. It was the first time that I just, I felt God tugging and I said, okay, I'm gonna go back to church. And I have the vents open because the Holy Spirit, because God is just in that car with me and I am just crying at his presence. He is, he is, I remember him being with me in that moment. I remember when we were launching this church and us having, coming out of that meeting, like, God, this is, this is what we're doing. Okay, this is what we're going to do. And then, and then you're looking at like our finances that we're like, what, what are we doing? We don't have people. We don't have money. We don't have, like, like we're on a wing and a prayer. No, but it's this vision. And then we're like, God, what you, it seemed impossible. It seemed impossible, but God, I remember your faithfulness. I remember that you made a way. 
So when you're in the valley, you have to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Before we move on to the second point, I have to share just one thing that we don't want to do in the valley, and that's just endure. You know, um, you don't want to just endure because that is a passive response to something that's happening, that's happened to you. Like, God, I'm just going to make it through. I'm just going to cope in whatever way that is most comfortable or the way that I can escape best. And I'm just going to endure until hopefully this storm passes. So we don't want to endure. We want to embrace. We want to embrace what God is doing and believing that he is still good. Habakkuk was feeling defeat. There, was, there wasn't a way out. The Babylonians were the strongest power at that time. And he was, he was afraid. He was afraid and he's confused, but he still responds with, my God is still on the throne. He's always been good and he's always been faithful. And this is not like a superficial state of denial where he's going back to the blissful part where he's saying, well, God is faithful. Well, God is faithful. God is good. Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, sister. Like God is good. No, I'm hurting. He's very open about the fact that he is hurting. He's fearful, but he's saying, God is still on the throne. God, you know, my marriage isn't working. My kids are not making good choices, but God, you are still on the throne. I don't understand, but I trust you. I'm embracing what's happening. I'm acknowledging what's happening, but God, I trust you with everything that's in me. Embrace. And in chapter uh, 16, verse through 18, you see it here where Habakkuk is really scared. He says, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He is full of fear. And yet I will patiently wait for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. The time is coming. He knows it. He is trembling, but he is patiently waiting. And then in 17, it says, though the fig trees do not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. It means, God, I'm not seeing anything happening. I'm seeing death around me. I'm not seeing any fruit, but yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God, my Savior. He has lots of reasons not to rejoice, lots of reasons why he could be mad and upset and frustrated and bitter, but he says, I will rejoice and be joyful. And not just a little bit, but shijanoth. Like with everything that's in me, I will praise you. Habakkuk is wrestling and embracing. It's, it's this faith that worships when everything is not right. He's fully engaged and his heart is open to God. His prayers aren't answered, but it's the praise before the provision. And his joy is not based on his circumstances. He chooses to rejoice because he's saying, God, I trust you. I trust you and what you're doing in my life. You know, I was remembering, uh, reminded of this story. Um, this happened this past year, actually, um, with Raylan. And we were all getting dressed to go somewhere. And um, the kids were in the other room. And Jim and I were in there getting dressed. And all of a sudden, you know how it is, parents. You hear this scream from this distant place. And then all of a sudden, it gets louder 
as it approaches the door, but it's a different kind of screen. You know what I'm talking about? Parents know, like there's a screen like I'm pitching a fit. There's a screen like, okay, I'm just mad. And then there's a screen like something happened. I'm scared. There's a screen like I'm hurt. All of that. So I'm hearing that scream, the scream that something happened, something is wrong. And I open the door and Raylan is standing there and she is screaming, but I don't know why. And Caden is kind of beside her, but he just is this shocked look on his face. And so I'm trying to figure out what's happened. All of a sudden I see blood on her shoulder, but it's like a lot. I see it like, like kind of dripping. It's on her shoulder. It's on her arm. It's like dripping down. I don't see anything. I'm trying to figure out. And, um, and so finally, I'm like, I'd love to tell you I handled it calmly. I did not. I was like, Katie, what happened? I was like, <laughs> it's like freaking out. My husband's calm. I'm not. I have a nursing degree. That's awesome. So anyway, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but what we figured out was is that there was a chin-up bar in the hallway, and he was just taking it off, and she was underneath it, and she was just tall enough to where that metal part nicked her and nicked her and she had a little gash in her head. So she screamed, we get her calmed down. We go to the couch. We need to put this liquid Band-Aid on it. And so when we go to tell her that we're going to put this liquid Band-Aid on it, she comes unglued. Like she is hysterical, but it's not even like, like I'm crying, upset, I'm mad. Like you, I can see the fear in her eyes. Like she is truly hysterical and scared and I'm holding her down or having trying to hold her down because Jim's gonna do it and put it on there. And, uh, and she is saying, no, mama, no, mama, please, 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 no, mama, no, mama, no. And I'm having to hold her down and she is wrestling me and she's fighting me and I'm, I'm seeing her face and of course it's breaking my heart, but I'm holding her down. And the whole time she is wrestling and fighting me, she's holding on to me as tight as she can. And as her mom, I knew that that is what she needed, that that is what needed to happen. But she did not understand that. She was wrestling and fighting me, and she didn't understand what was happening. But you know what? She never let go. She never let go. And so, you know, when we are going through the valley and, and we feel like we've hit a brick wall and we're like, God, I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. It's okay to wrestle, wrestle with your faith. It's okay to wrestle with your faith, but just don't let go. Embrace what God is doing. Don't let go. And I love as, um, <clears throat> as I close, I share this last scripture with you. It's in verse 19. Because Habakkuk knew that, that things weren't good. And, but he says, the Lord is still in the temple. He is still worthy of praise. And in verse 19, it says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to tread on new heights. He enables me. It means he's equipping me. He's giving me what I need to go to new heights. And new heights, he's taking me to new places, new intimate places with him, a place of greater faith. 
on the mountaintops, I praise Him for what He's done. I praise Him for the things that He's doing, but it's in the valleys that I praise Him for who He is. And it's in the, the mountaintops where, where we praise who He is and, and we enjoy God but it's in the valleys that we become intimate and we trust God. We are intimate with him. And I love in James chapter four, it says, you know, we read this scripture and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just felt like this message brought this scripture. It was a whole new meaning to the scripture. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, when you're walking through that valley, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work. Don't quit, don't stop so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything because he is a good God. He doesn't want you to lack anything. And I love it because you know, in chapter three, you can't get to the mature faith, that intimate place with God without going through the chapter one wondering and the chapter two waiting. First, you have to go through that wondering and the waiting before you can get to that, the mature faith and that intimate place with God. There's something that God does in that season. There's, there's this faith and this strength and this passion, this depth that is produced in the relationship in this season. It's, remember that it's the goodness it's just, it's remember the goodness of God and we embrace him in the valley. And so, you know, even as I was pondering, um, you know, closing and I was working on this message, I, you know, Pastor Jim shared last week that the word for, for our church this year is suddenly, is suddenly. And the week before I was at Saturday morning prayer and I was praying and, and I really had the word joy come up in my spirit and, and I was just thinking about it. I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't really understand. I don't know, you know, how does joy, what does that have to do with suddenly? I'm not really sure, but I don't know. I just, okay. And I'll put it, you know, kind of put it in the back burner. And then Jim and I spent some time with Pastor Chris this past week. And he started talking about the difference between praise and worship and talking about the importance of praise and how you need both. You need both in your life and in your church because um, worship is intimate. It's, it's, can, it can be heavy because it's an intimate time with God. But praise is, is what brings joy. Praise is what actually battles the heaviness and the depression and the things that you're facing and the things that you're battling. And so I thought, isn't that funny? Because I feel like when, when we're, I feel like God is calling us to the Shijanoth, to, to praise him, even if you're in the valley, to, to praise him and then you know what? It's like, God, we're praising you for who you are. And then suddenly, then suddenly, God, you're going to, suddenly I will be at the, on that next mountaintop. Suddenly I look around and I'm in a place where God, I don't even know, I trust you more and I have more faith and God, there's this depth to my relationship and God, I'm so thankful for that. Suddenly that happened and I thought, wow, isn't that powerful? 
God, I just, I believe, I feel like I really have just been praying that, that there would just be a spirit of joy rise up in our church, that God, that, that our focus would just return to you, Lord. I wanted to just take a minute and pray this morning, and, and I don't normally do this, but if you feel like you're in the valley, if you feel like maybe you just, you've been in the valley, you, you've gotten some news or maybe just some things, God, things are not matching up, really. Like things are not matching up. I just would love for you to, just to raise your hand. If you wanna stand, you can stand. I'm gonna ask people, like you don't have to get up or go anywhere, but just if you feel like you, maybe you're in the valley. God, I'm, I'm in a place right now where things are not necessarily matching up. I wanna pray for you this morning. So just raise your hand. God, I just pray, Lord, for those that feel like that they are in the valley, God, that they feel like, God, I don't understand. I'm in this place. I'm in this, this tough time in this season where I'm, what I'm seeing and what I'm believing is not matching up. And, and Lord, I just pray for uh, faith to be built. God, I pray that, Lord, that even that there would be a supernatural grace as the prayers are, may not be answered immediately, God is, as I'm not seeing, thing ha seeing things happen like they should, but God, I pray for a trust to be built, God, a supernatural grace, Father, for our hearts to be open, our minds to be open, God, that we would not be distracted by what we're walking through in the valley, but God, we would continue to praise you because you are worthy. Praise you for who you are, not for the what, but for who you are, God, because we love you and we honor you, God. I pray for there to be just supernatural joy, God. Lord, let there be laughter in our lives, God. Joy comes uh, not from our circumstances, but the joy of the Lord is our strength, God. Let us get our strength from you. And God, I just pray, Father, that Lord, that, that you, we would learn to, God, remember you, God, that you would help us to remember the things that you've done. Bring those to the forefront, God, the way that you have moved in our lives, the things that you've done, where you have brought us from, God. And God, that we would embrace you, Lord, that we would not just endure, but God, we would embrace you fully, wholeheartedly. God, we thank you for what you're doing. We consider it pure joy, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.